Your lunch break at work could sound like this. Or it could sound like... They're doing it in home offices, waiting rooms, in the back of the car and even in the supermarket queue. It was all rosy in the garden, lasted about six weeks and they have split up. The Indo Daily Podcast. Stories for any time of your day. One of Apple's top news shows of 2021. Available wherever you get your podcasts. The whole bandwagon of following England is, is just bonkers. And they win a game and it's like, well, they're the best team in the world. And they're so not. OTB AM. Weekdays from 7.30 AM. Listen on the OTB Sports app. The OTB Podcast Network with Get Set Go. Black Box Car Insurance lets young drivers bounce past high-cost premiums. Drive safe and save more with GetSetGo.ie. How's it going? Episode 5 of the Football Pod is here. I've got Paddy Andrews and I've got Andy Moore with me. Lads, how are we doing? Yeah, well, it's good, Tommy. Good to be here. All good. All good. Looking forward to... Uh... A big weekend of action now, uh, so some great games in store, so yeah, all good. The football is going to be back this weekend. Andy, another thing that's back, the gyms. You opened up the movement again this week, how's that been? Yeah, so opened up all staff back, um, it's been lovely, to be honest. Once it opens, it's, uh, it runs itself. I suppose in the, in the first lockdown, you've, you've got all the kind of protocols in place already, so the first one when we opened last June was, was tough. But everyone else then has just has become easier. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot easier. My job is a lot easier when everyone is back working. Were you tipping away at the beach weights all the time over lockdown? <laughs> Don't know if you've seen it now, but uh, a friend of mine, we played it on a junior game there on Monday. And um, a friend of mine put in uh, a, po- a photo up on Instagram. And I can't say I was doing much weights by the look of the photo. Anyway, there's a few LBs on there, you know, there's a few pounds on. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of those moments, Paddy, you know, when you just look at it and you go, oh, right, yeah. Yeah, a couple of home truths. The photos, the arse hanging out to the the shorts. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen them myself. They're usually around January, February when you come back after after a long winter. So uh, you're not alone there, Andy. Don't worry about that. Yeah, Don't yeah, we're, a lot of us are in the same boat, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what were you like in the gym, Paddy? Was it was it a big thing um, for you when you were when you were younger? When you were you know, part of your um, career? It, it is. Yeah, I, I think the younger guys are always mad into the gym because um, it, it's a big step up when you're coming from minor under twenty one or, or the under seventeens and under twenties. Now going into to adult football, it's a huge change for people, particularly at the inter county level. So. Like I remember when I, I first came into the Dublin panel, uh, Pillar Caffey was still the coach. And at that particular time, um, the Northern teams were the top teams. So Armagh were, were that, that really strong Armagh team that won the All-Ireland. Tyrone were the dominant team. And they were really big and physical. And the first couple of years I was with Dublin, it was all about just getting as big as you can. So we used to lift weights. It'd be, a lot of beach weights would have been going on. And that was the side of things. Whereas by the end of my career, it, that kind of phase of of bulking up had nearly been turned on its head completely and it was all about speed and kind of slimming down the speed that Dublin played at playing in Crow Park you know I, I did I'd say less than half the weights by the time I was finishing my career than when I started out so it's funny how and, and Andy had noticed obviously from working in the industry there seems to be these cycles of of sessions a new coach comes in or a new team is starting to be successful and, and then you start trying to imitate that but I, I always remember that starting out with, with Dublin, that Tyrone and Armagh, were the, they were bullying teams, you know, and and that was the big thing for us. It was doing so much weight, two or three times a week, whereas by the end, 
you know, Brian Cullen is a brilliant coach with us, does our strength and conditioning, and he would have came in, and, and it would have been a lot more around movement and about speed, plyometrics and stuff like that. So the change in that 10-year period was huge. But um, no, I was mad into it, I have to say. I was. I would have done a lot of it when I was younger, but... By the time myself and Andy were wrapping up, it was more about uh, just trying to avoid being injured. <laughs> so he, yeah. he definitely wouldn't have been benching the most on the team. It was just about getting the body right and things like that as well. And I think the big thing, it's so important to have a coach and a, and a strength conditioning coach who understands you. You know, if you have injuries over your career, there are certain things you can't do. And, and it's having that tailored approach. And I think that's one of the biggest things in GAA, like you say, from when I first started, it was kind of a one size fits all. Everyone get in and just lift as much as you can. Whereas the advancement in it in the last 10 years has been huge. Um, and I'm definitely sure Andy be able to touch on it more from his own background. But no, I was, I was, I was reasonable enough in the gym now, I have to say. Yeah, yeah it's very similar. I think our age kind of, pro, like Armad took it to a new level where mm. like they, they were huge. You had the two McNulty's, you had McGinney, you had McEntee's, you know, all big, strong, Jeremy Marsden inside, you know, just Ronan Clark inside in that team in, yeah. in 2002. And they were just massive men all through. And what they used to do, Tommy, they used to kick the ball a lot. So they didn't have to cover as much grass mm. as just say a Tyrone in 2003 or the way Dublin have brought it on since. But I remember seeing a huge difference from 2002 to 2003. And then we played Kerry in 2004 in the All-Ireland Final. And even if you look at that, the, at the, at the images from that game, you've Darrow, like the, the, the guys that were, Darrow Kinead, these guys who were filling the jerseys <laughs> at the time. There was yeah, no time yeah. jersey. And the Mio boys, the jerseys were just hanging off us. Like we were, you know, we were more nearly cross-country runners than we were at the time, what you needed to be to get like football. And that evolution went through. And I think now it's coming back down. So we kind of follow, I think Gaelic football follows a lot of, if you're taking the backs and rugby, that sort of uh, area. Mm. Remember O'Driscoll got huge and then he yes. started cutting and he came down, he probably took a stone off himself. So it's probably came that way, that evolution the same. But me personally, as a, as a club, we were very lucky. Um, we had a very, um, I suppose, Barry Solon, Andrew Hanley, um, so and Andrew Hanley is a coach. He's in Florida, but he he'd have coaches uh, like coached lots of high level tennis players who play in the French Open, Wimbledon. Barry Solon's obviously in Arsenal. James Mitchell were there, who all did strength and conditioning at his young age. It was kind of pushed into us. Um, hey. But but I'm very similar to Paddy. Way overdone it early on. Uh, pulled back a tiny bit. Probably took about four kilos off myself. Made me feel lighter. And really? Then the, yeah, near the end of the career, then weights was there to keep me healthy. And that's all. Yeah, to do. yeah, that's the big thing. Yeah, to keep me healthy and lift what you could lift, um, and do it to a way where my right leg was lifting the same as my left leg. No back squat, none of this. So it just changed completely. But I remember in about not eight, I came down. I was in Jordan's North, not in Jordanstown, not seven, not eight. I come down, and obviously Barry Solon was kind of headed the curve. He was in with. Uh, Joe international teams at that stage, but I had mini bands and I a wavin pipe for a foam roller and all the boys were looking. <laughs> if, I, if I actually, do you know the way everyone now does mini bands and foam rollers? Yeah, I yeah, actually yeah. just had my head on and I said, right, I'm going to do this. You so started I, that whole thing. Well, I didn't. Andy, but, what no, 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 no. Solon, Solon, had given, yeah, Solon had given it to me from his, his time in athlete's performance in America, do you know? And yeah, yeah. I came home into the changing room and I was doing these band walks, you know, like the duck walks that we all do now. <laughs> 
And she said, the voice, Trevor Mortimer was looking at me and said, will you get out of here? <laughs> it was the biggest, it was, it was, it was but crazy. But you know what, well, Andy, what year was that? What year was that? Not seven, not eight time. We, we played, just this, a small line though, we played in 2016. So my club, uh, we won a junior championship in 2017, but we hadn't won a junior championship in say 30, 30 years before that. So we were always kind of in and around there. But every year, as I said to you, in November, there'd be the conversation, can we do it next year? Yes, we can, but we wouldn't. <laughs> so in 2016, we got promoted to Division 2 football. So we'd always been Division 4, Division 5, but we got our way up. So we are playing senior clubs in league football, which made a massive difference. And uh, in our first game in Division 2, we played one of the big town teams, Trim, and it was in February and it was in Mead Hill. Now it's hard to get to Mead Hill and a lot of people in Mead don't know how to get to Mead Hill. Trim made the way down and I remember going into the dressing room that day in Mead Hill and we were going to our dressing room, the first one. And there was this commotion downstairs. There's a little hall. And we looked down and the Trim boys were foam rolling and doing these bands. <laughs> and we were up there looking down, sneering at them. Look at these county boys out here. Actually, didn't we go out and didn't we draw with them in our first league game? But we had that siege mentality going, what are these lads at? I swear to God, it was 2015 or 2016. And about six months later, we all had foam, roller, uh, foam rollers and mini bands. Well, it was like, it might sound like we were that far behind, but I actually don't think everyone was doing it five, six years ago. But, 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 but t- Tommy, it, it's funny, and, and it's not just in gym work. I mean, I, I made my debut with Dublin in 2008, and Dublin at that time, like Pillar Crafty was the coach, and they were kind of, they'd become the dominant team in Leinster. And I would have went into that environment, but Dublin would have been, I would say, one of the most professional teams in the country at that time. But it was like, we'd... We'd have carveries after training around in the, in the goblet. Uh, we used to train in St. David's there. Nice, nice, don't they? Uh, uh, nice. Honestly, yeah, you'd go in and you'd have a chicken curry and a few chips and things like that. And like you'd say... Two roasties. The, yeah, yeah, the, the, the train, the gym work was let's get bigger, let's get bigger. Kind of our, our, our kind of athletic training was, was kind of long distance running. And I know there's always the famous stuff of Mick O'Dwyer just doing laps and laps and laps. But at that time, you would have said, this is the, one of the most professional setups in the country. And then every year, it just seemed to get more and more intense. And like I say, we touched on this in previous pods, you start getting influenced by other coaches in other sports. And all of a sudden, if I look from 2008 to say 10 years later, 2018, the difference in our training, the difference in our nutrition, the difference in our gym work, the big emphasis on recovery and things like that. Like recovery, used to, we'd win a championship game and you go for points for two days after. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the change, the evolution of the pitch and in terms of how you trained, not just your gym work, but everything. It just seemed to get more and more professional every single year. And, and I'm sure, like I, I, I obviously finished up last year with Dublin and I'm sure in two or three years time, it'll go on to another level again. I, I, I don't know where we'll get to, but you always tend to look back and go, geez, how were we doing that two or three years ago? There's always little incremental gains that teams are chasing every year. But, but the gym work was, it was an obvious one. Yeah. Just it sticks in my mind. It was all about size, whereas now yeah. it's gone completely, it's, it's all about speed. And like Andy's touched on, it's all now about recovery, just being injury free. There's no point in being able to lift 150 kgs in the gym and then you put your back out and you're out for, for yeah. four weeks, you know, and a lot of it is just making sure you're as, as fit and, and as ready to play as you can be. The, on that, there was, when you talk about the cycle and the progression, there's two players that I always think of that nearly um, represented it. Paul Flynn is one. Flynn, yeah, yeah. His page, like he obviously wins those four All-Stars in a row, but he's nearly a different body shape every time he wins one. 
He got huge, I think. <laughs> he got, but he got absolutely massive. Well, well he, he 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 would have been on that team under Pillar, so he would have broken. He's a couple of years older than me, and mm. that would have been his intro as well. And he was in DCU with me as well, and, and a lot of us in DCU would have went to the gym quite a bit. But but that was his intro as well. It was about size, and particularly like he was playing around the middle of the field as well as a young guy. So he's like between wing forward and midfield. So that was a requirement. That's how Gaelic football was played at that time. And you're right, he's nearly a poster boy for that, the change. You could see it in his body shape and how he adapted his game. Whereas all of a sudden, instead of being bulky, by the time he was at his absolute peak, probably 2014, uh, 2015, he was then covering 12K a match. And you can't have that bulk and try and do that. You know, So, so as the game changed, possibly you're right, he's nearly a perfect timeline of that, of, of kind of trimming down and becoming more aerobic and more athletic. And, and you'll see it in the games this weekend, you know, the successful teams, Dublin, Donegal, it's all about your aerobic. How can you get up and down the pitch as often as you can for, for 75, 80 minutes? You know? which, which is like the second person I always thought it was James McCarthy. Because when you look at James McCarthy in 20, 2011, he's so skinny. He's so tiny. <laughs> and now, but I, maybe it's just because he went from being a boy to a man, but he's just a monster now. And he, he's actually, in terms of aerobic capacity, he's probably the standard setter. You can say Fenton as well, but in terms of being able to get up and down the field, Mayo, obviously, Andy, I don't know whether they recognise that, but they developed a lot of lads in around the middle third who can compete aerobically. How do you figure mm. these things out that the game is changing and we need to have lads like this rather than bigger lads? Uh, we, our... our, our our evolution, I suppose, as a team wasn't, there was nothing, there's no secret about it, really. We James comes in in 2011. Um, we go and we compete well against Cork. Ed Coughlin was a huge, huge addition to our squad um, in terms of SNC. But in terms of energy and the time he used to give you, we used to have an SNC coach who used to come in and maybe test you once a month. So you were more obsessed about how I need to impress this fella, how many chin-ups I need to do than how many po- <laughs> points I need to kick, you know? So you were nearly doing more chin-ups than you were doing kicking, you know? It was silly stuff. But Ed comes in, he gives you time, he allows you to talk, he, he, he goes through you with an individual plan and moves on. But then mm-hmm. huge, in 2012, we got Keane O'Neill in. And uh, Keane now, formerly of Kildare, I suppose, won his All-Irelands with Tip and Kerry and now is with Cork. He was a huge influence on the whole group in terms of just the general professionalism we brought to it. Like everything was monitored, data, what you need mm. to do, how you need to get there. And then it just built from there. So once he came in, then everything else came in. Kieran Shannon came in. Johnny Buckley followed Keane. When Keane went to Kerry, controversially, we won't mention that Keane. When he went to Kerry, <laughs> Johnny came in, brought another John. So it was always getting more professional as it went along. But once you broke the seal on the low levels, then it came through. But you mentioned James McCarthy there. Like two tours kind of stick out for me. One... 2010 uh, on a tour and Cork had just won the All-Ireland on a tour and seeing them boys training in the gym was just insane. And anyone that was there that was actually thinking, right, we need to get to a level. So there was a few dubs on it. Bernard was there and a few others. Once they seen the Cork boys, they were, they were definitely going home from that tour thinking, right, okay, I'm not doing half enough here because Wait, I thought I was training. Yeah, but but, but, the, but them boys. that's a big thing, Andy. And it's, it's like, Teams that are, you copy success. You, you yeah. see what a team does and go, geez, they've done this. Okay, we need to start mirroring mm. that. Because it is, it's, you sit down at the end of, only one team is really successful every year. They all are the champions and the other teams are, are sitting there kind of licking their wounds after after not winning the championship. They're going, well, what did what did Kerry do last year mm. that, that we didn't do? Or what, what have Dublin been doing the last couple of years that, that, that we haven't been doing? And that's, 
that competition that pushes the game on. And, I'll give you another. I'll give you which, another. Which cork boys? Tell me which cork boys. I want to know because they were. Oh, they were all animals. That, that, ah, were, cork, that cork every, was who, phenomenal. Who stood out yeah. to you? Who every stood out one of them. Every team? one of them. Miskiller. Really. Um, Pogacar. Yeah. Graham didn't go, but Pierce O'Neill was there. Um, Shornee was about six for four. They were at home. They had about twelve players who were all yeah. six yeah. two, six three. They were unbelievable. Nicholas Murphy, Paddy Kelly, Colin O'Neill, and like it was like. Quirk is a quite guy, Alan Quirk, who's playing goals with them. But mm. like, basically, if he'd said something, everyone did it. If Miskela said something, everyone... And they just all did it. Now, it never really worked for them then after, but you could see why they got to the level they got to. Mm. But then I was on the... The last tour I was ever on was um, November 2018. We went to Philadelphia, right? So I couldn't get training, lads. I, like, my little fellow was born. I could, wouldn't sleep. I couldn't train. So Colin Boyle and David Clark were on the tour with me. I said, lads, I have any chance playing next year, you have to get me training here. Like, you know, I just couldn't get in the mindset of training. So first night we went in, as usual, everyone's out for a few beers. And this is everyone, Tyrone, Dublin, a lot of them. We all went out for a few beers. And, I, and Clarky said to me, he said, he'd get me training. So I was the first home, right? Clark, I, re- I wake up the next morning, the phone is ringing. I'm like, what's wrong? Clark is in the gym already. Like, like I was home at home, two o'clock. This is half seven, eight o'clock. I was like, how was this crazy man in the gym? So... Get the clothes on because I'm afraid of Clarky. Get the clothes on. <laughs> run down to the run down to the gym and, and he goes, yeah, you better cop on. He goes, he goes McCarthy and Howard and who was it? Con. We're already in the gym. Gone. So I watched, <laughs> Straight I watched, from the nightclub. <laughs> yeah, it's true, but like, but but I watched it for the week, right? I watched it for the week. As I watched Cork in 2010, so there's all as as Paddy says, success leaves clues, and just watched it. McCarthy's knee, like he had a knee operation, like there was. Like he was physically shouldn't have been in the gym, if I'm being honest. I think his knee might have been a small bit infected. He was pulling the boys to the gym. And like the boys were good boys. I'm sure they're good lads. But yeah. McCarthy, McCarthy was leading the way. And you're on about the body shape and how he's still playing. And I just remember looking at this boy and going, that's impressive. No, it got me training because I thought if I have any notion of competing in 2019, I need yeah. to go after this. But like you're thinking about it then afterwards, moving on and you're tired and you're thinking, okay. It was a clue in Cork. There's a clue in McCarthy, yeah. and they were both very successful team. Yeah, success leaves clues. That's that's one of the yeah. the main phrases of the last couple of weeks of the podcast. That's <laughs> that's a good one. I really like that. Um, yeah, that's great. So, and and just the last one on the gym, Andy. Sorry. So you obviously didn't always own your own gym or work in a gym. That came in the latter stages of your career. What sort of a difference would now? What sort of a difference would it have been earlier in the career, or did that matter, or did you always have that mindset? Just no, just when I got injured. When I got injured, I've told the story many times, but the, the biggest problem for me was when I got injured, I could not recover. I literally, my back was gone, my knee was gone, my hips were gone. Like I was willing to finish up, if I'm being perfectly honest. I didn't want to, but the body was shot at the end of 2014, yeah. and I, I was done. Like, and uh, just got very lucky, opened the gym in 15. Medina Falvey, Barry Solon was there with me and talked me through a six-month program. And all of a sudden, I was out of the car, not sitting down in that crunch position, on my feet the whole time. I just kind of changed everything then, and I could start moving then again. But once I got injured, once I did the cruciate in 12, the job I had at that time, just it didn't suit from that day on, you know? And I probably, maybe them two or three years, I should have changed earlier, but listen, it it is what it is. But um, no, it was a really good career move. Good for me, kind of psychologically, but really good on a football point of view as well. Who was who lifted the biggest weights in Dublin, Paddy? Oh, it's all the young guys. They're all it's it's gas. Looking at them coming in, guys like Paddy Small and stuff. Now 
they're absolute savages in the gym. And I'm just <laughs> looking on. The doors, it reminds me 10 years ago, and I'd be going in doing 90 kg bench press. It'd be one of the lowest on the team. I'd just get it done and I'm out the door with, with, with Cully doing my foam rolling and stuff like that as well. Like, but um, now it, it is, it's, it's, it's funny. The, the younger guys, they do come in and it's, to be honest, they're, they're mostly they're some of them are students and they've time on their hands and they're, they're doing that side of things as well. But, but it is, it's a very important bit for any younger players coming into that panel because it is a huge change. Like you're going from being playing senior club football or you've come from the under 21s, you're playing Sigerson football. It is a big step up in terms of the physicality to, to play in the championship, you know, at inter-county level. And particularly if you're coming into the Dublin team, the, the standard is so high. You, you just need to physically be at that level or you're just, you're not used to the, to the, to the team. There's certain requirements. This is the style of play we have. You need to be able to run for 75 minutes but you also need to be able to, to win your own ball. Like we spoke about Dublin, if you're a defender, you're you're asked to man-mark some guy. You've got to be physically able to deal with him. So it is. it does tend to be the younger guys. And as Andy says, when we get older, a lot of it is just about keeping ourselves on the pitch and being ready to play and stuff like that. And like, like Andy said, you could spend 30 minutes at the gym just doing your prehab stuff. You know, that was most important to me at, at the end of my career in terms of keeping my back and my hips. I'd had a lot of trouble with that side of things. So... Whereas the other guys are going in doing their, their 10 sets of, of bench press. So I was there foam rolling away. But that's what I needed at that particular time in my career. Like, and, I, and I'm sure it will just keep getting more and more professional, be more insight, like we touched on last week, influence from other sports and everything's going, geez, how did we not think of this before? Hmm. But uh, but that seems to be the mentality and the attitude. And it's great to see because we say the game is getting faster. The quality of play is getting higher and higher every single year. So it, it's a huge role. And like I said, from when I started my career to where I finished, the, the advancement in it has been been phenomenal, really. And who used to eat the weights of Mayo? I kind of mentioned him there. David Clark was was always a good guy. But the goalie, jeez. He yeah, doesn't need to do anything. Yeah, Paddy, Paddy Durkin. Um, Paddy Durkin in the later years was just uh, an animal. But then the guys outside, you know, the likes of David Drake and them guys who just, uh, I have to mention him, he works for me, so. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we're offering. Hey, if anyone wants, oh, to, we're, we're offering good deals in the gym too. If I can't believe this. You've just given yeah. out. He's twenty-five minutes plugging his gym. Yeah, plugging the gym. Jesus yeah. Christ! Are we going to talk about we, football this week? We come back to pension <laughs> plans next week. Yeah, yeah pensions yeah. and investments next week. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you. Two. Yeah, no, but they, them, them, them guys are good. But we were like, they were always. I don't think there's any ever problem with boys lifting weights on a team. Uh, what I always want to see is. The guys who were out kicking before training and all yeah, that sort yeah, of stuff. They're the guys that you really want. I think the huge way Dublin have used their finances and it's publicised all around the place more than anything is when the guys come into the squad, they're ready. They're ready to, you know, they're ready to play. Like, and it, it's taken other counties maybe three to four years unless you're a really genius footballer to make the team. But I, we it always struck always... me playing freshers football in DCU and I, I played a very small amount of it but John Small was our freshers captain for the championship and we did not see John Small in 2012 uh, for the first say January to start of February because he was in with Dublin he was in doing they were they were moulding him for the senior team and I don't think he made his debut for another maybe 18 months but we knew that he was doing stuff with the dubs probably, probably later than that but he was doing and but we would always touch that at Tommy and we say this now and for any guys coming in you don't arrive to the Dublin training to get fit. You arrive, you, you should be fit. You should be have trained on your own. You're not coming, particularly, and, and you'll see it with teams in, in this season where it's a lot shorter. You need to have yourself ready 
because the time you have on the pitch is working on the tactics, it's working on your skills. Like Andy's saying, we would have spent so much time in terms of our, our on-field training around basic around skills and the fundamentals are catching, your kicking, your weak foot, all that side of things. You can't waste time coming back really unfit and you have to spend, you know, 60, 70% of your time getting aerobically fit. You arrived to training fit and ready to play. And the time we had together was then on the more important things, like Andy said, around your skills, around your, your tactical style, uh, style of play and things like that. You, you just couldn't be wasting time coming in terrible shape and you have to spend the first three weeks of the year trying to get fit. You had to have a, a, at least a, a base level of aerobic capacity that's that's the responsibility of the players to do that you know in your off season okay go away and enjoy yourself and, and I love that myself but you still had to to do the work away from the scene uh, so you came ready to ready to play and ready to contribute mm-hmm. to the team You're listening to episode 5 of the Football Pod here with Paddy Andrews and Andy Moran The football this weekend the league I'm going to say every game matters but I'm not convinced that the the Division 1 semi-finals matter as much as you guys think they do. So I think we're going to kick <laughs> off with, I think we're going to kick off with the relegation, lads, if that's all right. We're going to, because it's actually, it's a massive deal in a number of divisions. We're going to start mm. off with the relegation playoffs in Division 1. And uh, on Sunday, we have Armagh versus Roscommon and Monaghan versus Galway. Andy, where do you want to start here? Yeah, I think the Armagh Roscommon game is, is huge. Um, I think Paddy described Roscommon, uh, well, a couple of weeks back where mm. he goes, they've turned into a bit of a yo-yo, t- yo-yo team doing great stuff in Division 2 and come up to Division 1 and not staying there. But <clears throat> from knowing them close close up, they've some exceptionally talented players. The likes of Johnny Smith, Enda Smith, uh, Kieran and Jeremy Murcher, the brothers, like really, really top-class players if they get, if they add consistency to it. And to me, the only way they add consistency to it, Tommy, is by being in this division. The, the physical demands that, that, that's placed on you by playing against the likes of Kerry, um, Donegal, Tyrone, Armagh even, and Dublin, is it, just far superior than what you can get in Division 2. I've been lucky enough to go and see two Division 2 games. It, it is at a lower level. It is at a lower pace. Your physical conditioning doesn't have to be as strong. And I think a problem for us common over the years is that some of them players we even mentioned there have pulled out for a year. So they're missing that as mm. I think we, we described it as that little compound of Paddy knows more about compound interest than me. <laughs> that compound interest of, of weights, development, skill development, they've missed that over the years. And I think it's a really important game for them. And then for Kieran McGinney and all the Kierans with Armad, Donnie, McKeever, all them guys, <laughs> I think it's just a huge game for them. Um, and the reason for it, if, if Roscommon, as they did last year, beat Armagh, uh, then McGinney doesn't get back into Division 1 until 2023. And is he still going to be there? Like, he's had five or six years. I believe he's done an exceptional job. I think he's got them now to a level where they're in the position to push on. But it is such a massive game uh, for both teams. But I would nearly say, particularly for Armagh, because they're that yeah. team where they're right on the brink of saying, right, we're real contenders here. But if they go to Division 2, it just might be too much for them to pull back and get back in. It it, it is essential to be in Division 1 in terms of building that success. And I think there's a great example of, of say, Monaghan over the last 10 years. Like Monaghan were were probably in a similar situation to to Armagh. They they weren't one of the main contenders in Ulster. They hadn't won Ulster Championships. They hadn't been competing. Monaghan, for seven or eight years under Malachi O'Rourke, they were in Division 1. 
and they were always competitive. You go up, they, they beat us a couple of times up at Clonus. And just that consistency, they were they were like getting every last drop out of, out of each and every one of their players. They don't have a huge playing pool there, but Malik O'Rourke had them in Division 1. They were competitive. They were getting better every single year. And all of a sudden, they won two Ulster Championships off the back foot. They got to All-Ireland semi-finals. You could just see they were becoming a better team every year just by being exposed to Division 1. And Tommy, we touched on it with, with Mead even last year. Andy McAtee and Mead in Division 1 of the first time they're in Division 1 in years. Yes, that they lost every game in it. But you can see they've gone down to Division 2 and they'll probably get back up. I, I fancy that they'll probably beat Kildare this weekend. But just having that exposure to the highest level, because it is, it is a big difference. The speed of play, the ch- if you're a defender, you're marking the best forwards in the country. It just brings your game up. You know, you become a product of your environment. And if you're at playing at the highest level, even if you're not winning all those games, it's so, so important. And we're talking about Armagh taking that next step. Can Armagh all of a sudden, after kind of 10 years in the doldrums, can they become contenders in the Ulster Championship and compete with the likes of, of Armagh, of Tyrone and Donegal? You have to be in Division 1 to do that. Monaghan were a great example of it. And you're looking at this weekend. You're right. Like the, the Division One semi-finals, I think they're the four best teams in the country playing each other. They'd be really exciting games. But in terms of the overall season, if Dublin lose to Donegal, it's not really a huge impact on their season. If Kerry don't beat Tyrone, it's not a huge impact on their season. Whereas if part of Joyce gets relegated with Galway, you know, that's they're kind of going, that is a big setback mm. for where they're trying yeah. to get it. They're trying to become the dominant team in Connacht, like Mayo were for four or five years. You need to stay in Division One. And the same with Nagini. There's been screen shoots over the last two years with that team. They're really excited to watch. They're unlucky probably to be in a relegation game this weekend and not in league in a league semi-final. But for them to get relegated back down to Division Two, it, it just feels like the momentum they have would stall on the back of that. Um, and I, it, it's just it's essential if you want to start winning provincial championships and we're talking about catching up with Dublin and Kerry and these teams yeah. you have to be exposed to the highest level of football and it's so important you're right even though the games might be the semi-finals might be more high profile and, and like I say you've got the top teams playing each other but, but staying in Division 1 and for the teams trying to get up teams like Clare teams like me trying to get back up from Division 2 it's so so important to be exposed to the highest level of football I, I think uh, the, the Armagh one is key because Armagh aren't going to win Ulster lads I, I, I don't believe they're mm. so I, 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 I know, don't think so either. I think they've got a chance but I, I do think this game is more important than any game they're going to play in the future <laughs> just to because it's such a quick turnaround of the season um, and I think it's so important for them to have that level of competition again next year. You get the feel for it. So I'll give you an example, right? So if we're looking at Mayo, right? And I do think Mayo are still in the the, the, the contest here. I, they got yeah. the feel of it going to Dollar and Fine and playing Dublin. So the muscle memory will stay with them. But if you look at Mayo, for example, right? And you're take, if, you're, if this is another team. So Mayo scored 70 points. The next closest team in Division 2 is 55. Right? The scoring rate there isn't high enough for Meads. Clare, any of them guys, it's not high enough to compete in Division 1, right? If you look at it too, they all play against Westmead who play an, a, 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 a counter-attack in form of football, so 13 behind the ball, Heslin up top and they attack at speed, okay? That's not even happening in Division 1. Right, so Mayo then have three backs who really are marking anyone, so they're not getting that, as Paddy says, that level of competition, which is really tight. They'll, they'll meet the same next week with uh, Clare, Tommy, where I don't. Clare will play with three forwards. They're not going to play with five. Um, you see, you've seen last week what happened to them against Mead. Mm. 
when Kyogen came on and McEntee and these guys in Harnett and made it a bit more competitive. But like anything can happen in that last game. Again, you look at what happened in Division 1. Oh, it was crazy stuff. People running at each other, really going after it. Even the Galway v Dublin game was a right game till about 61, mm. 62 minutes. And in Division 2, you just don't get that. So what we're saying about here, Galway, Monon probably less so because they're young and the older players have the feel of Division 1. So I don't think it's as catastrophic for them as anybody else because I think they have enough to bounce back and they're trying to, they're trying to get a new team. But for mm. Galway, Armagh was common particularly Galway Armagh, I think it's absolutely essential. That they- if you look at, at the improvement in Galway since the, the, the kind of catastrophic opening defeat to Kerry, and, and it was like an, a bloodbath, and they had the same last year in the first game after lockdown where, where Mayo absolutely blitzed them. Galway would have learned a huge amount from that game. As, as bad as it was and mentally and nearly embarrassing for, 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 for Paul Joyce and the players, they would have learned a hell of a lot. And you can see the lessons they've learned. They, they were much better against, against Ross Common and getting their win. And they were much better against Dublin. Okay, they didn't win the game. But you could see their defenders were a lot more, a lot tighter. There was a lot more aggression in their play. Whereas if, if they're in Division 2, those mistakes, they're not highlighted as much. And, and you kind of, you can sleepwalk your way through and they go to the, the Connacht Championship. They could lose to Ross Common in, in, in the first game where they lose to Mayo in the Connacht final. Whereas even as bad as that defeat was against Kerry, they would have learned a hell of a lot. And, and that's just, like we were saying, being exposed to playing against the best teams, playing against the best style of tactics. Play, the speed of the game is so much quicker. Andy's touching on there. Whereas me, play that kind of defensive style and then they break at speed. It's, it's a very different speed that they're playing at than the likes of if Donegal attack or if Dublin attack. So just being exposed to that, even if you're not winning, you're learning huge lessons. And in the space of three weeks, you can see the improvement in Galway from what essentially was, was an embarrassment in their opening game. And like we touched on it with me, Tommy, as well, even though they lost their games in Division 1, they've gone down and they have a little bit more nous and experience and you'd expect them to get back up this year. So you just for exposure for the younger players, particularly for coaches, for the style of play, it's the only show in town. If you're going to progress as a team, you really need to be playing against the top teams and the top players. So, so Paddy, I, I think you've hit it. So even on the tactics side of things, so Joyce goes down and Divley, they go down and they, they get it wrong. I, did, they're the, I first admit that they got it wrong against Kerry. They leave mm. McCarrens and Glynn in one-on-one with the boys, having a chance, get, get cleaned out. But I listened to Michael Meehan on Off the Ball last week on, in, at the uh, Dublin Galway game. And he said, it's more Kevin Walsh now than it is uh, yeah. Joyce in terms of tactics. So now what Joyce went away, he goes, right, this is clearly not working. Now it's a little hybrid between Kevin Walsh's tactics and Porrick Joyce's tactics. And they've probably found a nice little niche there. So yes, you learn as a player what you're touching, you're feeling, what you're exposed to. But as a management team, yeah. you also learn that Away we go. And if you're in Division 2, sorry, Paddy, just one sec. If you're, if you're in Division 2 and you're playing one-on-one defence and then all of a sudden you're put in against a Division 1 team in the first round of the Championship and you've laid out what happened to Galway against Kerry in the first round could very easily happen to you again. You know, Sorry, Paddy, what? No, but it was a, a, the very first part we did. We spoke about this, about the challenges for, for new managers like the guys at Tyrone, like Parraka and Divo with Galway, was finding that balance. Mm. That is the, the, the biggest challenge for, like if you ask any coach when they come into any job, it'll be, 
you know, the ideal scenario is we played as free flow and attacking football. We're great to watch and we're successful. The reality is, is that sometimes or, or more times than not, that's just not feasible. That you've got to find a balance of, okay, we need to be solid at the back. We need to be hard to play against. That's our foundation. And then we take it from there. And you get the best feedback when you play the best teams. Like you can analyze your own game. You can review your own performance. But when you go out and you play the top teams, you're getting feedback for free. And you'll see, okay, we're not at the level that we need to be at. We need to be maybe a little bit fitter. We Our style of play needs to be adapted and then you take that into the championship, whereas you're only going to get that off the best teams. And that's why for, for our man that have come up, they've been a breath of, breath of fresh air and how they play. But they've a lot of players in that team that have never played in Division 1. And, and even this year, it's a bit stilted because of the sections and, and basically Division 1 North is basically like an Ulster championship. So our man haven't got the chance to play against Kerry and against Dublin. Like I was saying, I, I don't think I think I played our man once in my whole career with Dublin. You know, and they're not exposed to that. So for them to to drop down to Division Two without playing the likes of, of Kerry and Galway and Dublin and, and these teams, you, you just need that. It's so so important for for players' development, but also, like Andy said, for coaches, for tactics. This is what we need to do against the top teams. And like I say, you get the best feedback when you play the top teams. And for the year that's in it as well, it's a knockout championship. So there's a very good chance that some of these counties might only have one more game this year. And then next mm. year you're, you're facing possibly back into a seven-team division or, or maybe it'll be to keep the four, the groups again. Um, in terms of, I have this question for both of you and Andy, I actually couldn't believe it. No offence, but I couldn't believe it that in, we spoke about longevity <laughs> I know, last year. I don't know what's coming. I don't know oh, what's yeah. coming. This sounds about, bad, Andy. Yeah, yeah. We spoke yeah, about longevity on. last week with Niall McNamee, but you've played intercounty football from 20, 2003 up to 2019, 2020. How did you never play Division 2 football? Because in my mind, Mayo were in a couple, even in the last seven or eight years, I always had it that Mayo weren't taking the league that seriously in the sense that they had their goal, which was the All-Ireland, and they wanted to peak for it, for even beyond Connacht. Um, I couldn't believe it that you'd never been relegated into Division 2. Oh yeah, we had some very close escapes. But again, going back to the point, <laughs> what Paddy's making... Like I mean, very close escapes. I think I think Kevin McLaughlin might have yeah, 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 two or three yeah. occasions. But the thing about it was, we had them two to three games at the end of the league, which were championship games basically. Like, what better preparation to come in? And you're going up to Bally Buffet, try to get a draw or a win up in Bally Buffet to try to go to rescue your league. Um, and it, it, it was great education for us as a team, but also for the management to see. Okay, right. The right pressures on here. Yeah, yeah. What players can actually step up and actually perform at the highest level? So, yeah, I think we in James's first year in 2011, we stayed up on five points. I think another time we stayed. I think we could have stayed up on four well, points. But, but, but it, it's, very it's funny, close, Andy. You know? Even for us looking at you, I would have had that sense as well that that, that Mayo weren't overly pushed with winning the league or not. And it's and that's what we're talking about. That there's certain teams. Like when I said at the beginning of this, Dublin and Kerry aren't overly concerned about winning the National League. It's about finding two or three new players. But Dublin and Kerry, maybe 10 years ago, it was important to build that momentum and things yep. like that. Whereas Mayo, they'd done the hard yards. They'd, become the, they'd already become the dominant team in, in, in Connacht. And we spoke about it's very difficult for a team to arrive out of nowhere and win the championship. There, there's stages to that. Like I touched on with Monaghan, being in Division 1 for five, six, seven years is important. Then the next stage is can we become the dominant team in our province? Mayo had done that. You guys won five five Connacht titles in a row. So there was never a sense that 
that Mayo were overly concerned with the games in January and February in, in the National League. But when it got to March, like Andy's saying, and we were the exact same with Dublin, we were four, we won four or five National Leagues under Jim Gavin, but we never actually set out to start the year and sit down and go, we're, we're dead keen to win the National League. You, you were that was never the case. You were typically in Thailand or Barbados oh, at the start yeah, of the year. Well, like, that was honestly, the thing, though. You know, we, January, February, come, you might be we, away. We'd come back in the first two league games, lads be sunburned. They'd, they'd be, <laughs> you know, that they'd be peeling playing the first couple of games. Yeah. But that was, we would always have targeted a couple of big games in the National League that we wanted to win. So if we were going to Castle Bar in the third game, we'd be like, okay, that's an important game for us because Mayo are contenders later on in the year. So we want to win that game. Or if we were going down to Tralee to play Kerry, Kerry are contenders, we want to go down and win that game. Or if we're going up to Alma to play Tyrone, there were certain games we targeted, but we weren't overly concerned with we want to win the National League or not. Because we'd got to the stage, we'd gone through that progression. We were a Division One team. We'd become the dominant team in our province. There was a couple of games we targeted. Whereas- you were always fired up. I can remember a couple of uh, nearly... Blow up, blow ups, and you know, in Tralee or at a game yeah, yeah. carry under lights. Like, were you just really fired up that you had to set this is your game to set your set yeah, well, the time? We, we were, but I think Kerry was as well. You know, we Kerry hadn't beaten Dublin in the championship. I remember a couple of those games. I think we lost, we drew one, and then we lost one against Kerry, and it was it was like a championship game in in March time. You know, because Kerry were going for us. They hadn't beaten us in the championship. It was important for their development. To, to win that game. And that's why I, I think the game of Killarney on Saturday night for Tyrone is, if you rem- like, you got to look at the draw for the championship as well. The winners of the Ulster Championship play the winners of the Munster Championship in the All-Ireland semi-final. This could be an All-Ireland semi-final preview. And, and for Tyrone to come in with new coaches, they're kind of settling in. They've this new style of play. If I'm in Tyrone's head, kind of mentally for them, this is a really big game for them in terms of getting that belief and getting that momentum. And we were just, like yeah. with Dublin, as part of our success, we weren't overly concerned with winning the league outright, mm. but there was definitely games that we would have targeted against our, our big competitors. On a personal um, level, you know, we've you, spoken before about you couldn't really take chances because of the depth, the strength and depth behind you that, mm. you know, if you didn't do the job, somebody else, O'Gara or Costa would be in ahead of you. On a personal level, how did you treat the league? Or was it a... a, oh, a it, was, it, was, it was huge for me, yeah, because... Like, it, I, I had to play well. I, if I got a chance in the National League, um, you had to play well. And, and that's what we, we touched on with Costello last week and why we both had him in our team, the team of the league so far. That You might look at Dublin as a whole and say, well, Dublin aren't overly concerned about the league. Or Cormac Costello has been on the Dublin panel for seven or eight years. He's won five or six All-Irons. The league isn't that important for him. It is essentially a trial for him. And, and, and that's why... He, he stood out so much because he's played so well. He's under huge pressure to perform because he's trying to play and get his spot for the summer. And for me, it was the exact same that even though like, like Jim Gavin or, or, or the management team might be overly concerned about winning the National League or not, I knew I had to play well or I was, I was gone. And, and that's, I think, the benefit of why Dublin won four or five leagues despite not being a, a huge target for us. We had the depth of squad that when we changed our team and we gave guys opportunities, we'd still managed to win the games. Whereas with Mayo, there mightn't have been as much depth. And that's why they mightn't have won the first two or three league games. When it come, came down to it and they put out their best 15, like Andy's saying, in the last two or three league games when they needed results, they got the results. 
you know, we're Dublin successful because of the depth of the panel. Even if we changed teams for the first two or three league games, we generally still got a result and that helped us get over the line in the end. But for, for players on the fringes, and for someone like Costello and these guys, mm-hmm. that is, the league is huge. You need to perform because that's going to, if you don't, they're not going to put you in the championship. Simple as that. When we look at some of the other games that are standing out, we'll be able to talk about the fallout from all these games next week in, in depth. Cork Westmead to me, your Division Two relegation playoff, like that's a that's a scary one for Cork in my <laughs> eyes because they just haven't delivered. And Andy, you saw Westmead up close. They're a team that can pull off a result out of nowhere, and they've got they're very well coached as you've mentioned. They have the likes of Heslin who could just put in a mercurial performance, and you know he could kick. I think he's kicked two sixteen in club games before. He could just he could he could star. And yeah. they could hold off Cork. So that's a tough one for Cork. I don't know whether you'd be worried, Andy, looking at Cork going into that. What could happen to them if they slipped into Division 3? You spoke about Cork setting the standard in 2010. That's only 11 years ago. Yeah, I, th- I think they're coming off uh, They're coming off two victories, haven't they, right? Mm. Uh, the last two games. I, th- I think Cork will be quite confident. But if you're going into it, and who's the pressure on? I think the pressure is really on Cork there. There's no real pressure on Westmead. But Cork should be winning that game. I like. I, I think it'd be great for the championship if a Cork team came back and were really challenging down south. I think it'd be really good. Um, so it's no disrespect to Westmead, but I think there's no pressure on them. Uh, as you said, like Heslin even against Mayo, for example, Oshie Mullen does really, really well on him. I think Heslin comes out with one seven, one eight. So he's just one of these guys who can just have big scores over over a period of time, and you're thinking he's not doing much. Really good forwards, Canella in the middle of the field. Uh, as we've mentioned, Maguire and uh, boy, boy who uh, like they're they've really two really 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 strong man, man markers. So it's going to be tough for Cork. I would expect Cork to have enough and to come out but, again. But, again but, and it's cleared the score twenty one, so you'd expect yeah. them to have enough to score. You, you, you can't rely on Cork. Like. No, and, and I totally agree with you. It will be brilliant for the Munster Championship. It'll be brilliant for the, the All Ireland series if Cork are strong. Like they, they won the other twenty one All Ireland only two years ago. They're always really strong at that level, and you're just waiting. Like it, perfect, the most Cork thing ever last year. They go and beat Kerry. Mm. Now whether they, look, they possibly did they deserve to win the game? They got over the line. Kerry underperformed, but Cork win that game, and you're thinking, right, what a momentum boost for Cork. That's it. One of their biggest chapter victories in probably five or six years. They've done absolutely nothing. They win this game and then they go out the next day and they lose the Munster final to Tipperary. Like the most Cork thing. It's like one step forward, two steps back. Like they've underage players coming through. They have some really, really talented players. Ian Maguire, Rory Dean. Nearly throwbacks to that really powerful, successful team they had at the start of the noughties. Um, but then they go out and it's just a terrible performance and they haven't won a big championship game outside of that Kerry game and I can't remember the last time that they've had a big upset outside of that and just one week they're really good and the next week they're just totally totally flat and you're going Ronan McCarthy must be pulling his hair out like they've really talented forwards Brian Hurley Kieran Sheen but if I'm looking at Cork from the outside I'm going like what is their style of play they're not overly defensive they, they, they don't park the bus they don't bring everyone back they're not overly you know they're not going hard they're not great going forward either they're kind of just between they're, they're so reliant Paddy on two or three certain players Powder is yeah he, he nearly looks like Ian McGuire Luke Connolly up front yeah, these guys yeah. Powder didn't play last year against Tip and it literally looked like 
they look like a different team. They like they, they look, look lost. They it, look it, lost in that much. It, 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 it's like a, you're not as, yeah, you're not as reliant on merchant and but like he's a bit on that merchant role where he can carry the ball out from the He's field. an energizer. Yeah, he's he, a great guy. Influences in the, the rest of yeah, the defense. He does, and they're so reliant on himself. And as you mentioned, Maguire and Connolly and these guys. If we take one of them out, then I wouldn't mm. rely on them. If if all them three play, I would be fairly confident that they're going to be with me. If all them three play, if well, I wouldn't rely on them, man. Yeah, if, if I'm looking yeah. on the last three, four years, yeah. there is no consistency in their play. I, I'll give you an example. And we, we played Cork uh, in a challenge game about three weeks before the championship in 2018. Uh, we played in the challenge game. And we had our full Dublin team out. Full team. And we were taking that match seriously. It was We'd come back after being away with the club. And Jim Gavin, but it'd be the, all our boys playing. Cluxton, Fenton, McCarthy, all the guys. They beat us by about 12 points. It was, they absolutely overran us. And we were like, Jesus Christ. Cork, are, they're coming now. Jason Ryan was involved with them. They looked really fit, really hungry. And... It was a full Dublin team. We were taking the match seriously and they blew us out of it. And we're thinking, these guys are going to be dark horse in the championship. And they did absolutely nothing after that. And it's that consistency. You're going, they have talented players. There. Maybe maybe Andy's right, they haven't got the depth of squad. Can they start bringing through a couple of those guys that, that bet Dublin in the 21 all in the final a couple of years ago? It takes time for these guys to come through. Like we said, their strength and conditioning, building them up. But, but, but for Cork, I wouldn't be overly confident. They, they could go and they could lose that game to Westmead and all of a sudden Cork are down in Division 3 Cork in Division 3 I mean that's Cork should be in Division 1 we're talking about the importance of, of Division 1 to teams like Armagh to teams like Galway they cannot afford to lose that game but I, I'm looking going, what can Ronan McCarty can he get that solidity can they get consistent performances and, and 2020 championship was just like it was like the story of Cork football over the last 7 or 8 years they beat Kerry and then they go and lose to Tipperary like come on guys that's they're not going to get to where they need to get to. When you're talking about that lack of consistency and maybe not knowing what the style of play is, I don't know why, but I'm nearly struck and I'm thinking of Mead post Sean Boylan in that I think perhaps, even though they were getting to All-Ireland semi-finals, I think behind the top level, there was an arrogance possibly there in, in, in the county that sure, they'll just come again. The good times will keep coming. And mm. maybe in Cork, they had a similar thing because they had that team that got to those finals in, in and around the loss of two finals to Kerry, obviously, and then one in 10. Mm. Maybe they were just expecting it to happen and they had these talents coming through like Colin O'Neill and, yeah. um, you know, Kieran yeah. Sheehan, as we said, I, and, and then it just didn't click. But they did win. They have got it going with the last two years. They've had very successful underage teams, so possibly. Yeah. But I'll go through and we'll go back. Paddy mentioned Kieran Whelan, the influence he had on their group, right? They influenced the likes of Canty, Quirk, Nicholas Murphy, them guys, John Miskela, Paulie Kassan, Noel O'Leary all retired at the same time gone yeah. and you're expecting young fellas to come in take up the mantle be as good as the fellas in front of them and they've no one to show them you gotta and the same thing happened with me uh, Tommy if we look back there was just yeah. over the course of three four years there was mm. just spat of retirements and no matter like I told you the story there about James McCarthy bringing Howard Mannion uh, Khan mm. to the gym with him and you just need people to show you there mm. needs to be a transitional period Yes, Mayo lost a lot of players, but they're still Killian, Aidan, Stephen Cohen, Jeremy O'Connor to show these guys how to do it. Dublin lost a good few. Do you know, there's still a transitional period to show them. Mm. Kenny and the Hurland, the same. So what happened with Cork, I would say, was very similar to me. They got rid of too many of them too quick. Yeah, yeah. there was a winter. There was a winter, yeah. wasn't there, in Cork, where they were all gone. They were all gone. They were all <laughs> And like I remember doing an interview 
at the time, someone rang me to do a piece about Noel O'Leary because he must have pulled ahead of me in a game one time or something. But ringing me and he just Sounds goes, about right, yeah. yeah. They go, what, what's this? And I said, there's too many of them gone at one time. It just seemed mm. there. And that, that's what happened, you know? And you don't think that Mayo lost too many at one time this January because they did lose a lot. It was like every day I was texting a new Mayo fella to try and get him on for a chat. Yeah, my Twitter, my Twitter feed after Donny retired. <laughs> I should paid, have, I would all, pay a tribute to. Yeah, I would all out with Donny, and then those four in a row. So I nearly, I nearly. It was copy and paste at each. Uh, day. Yeah, yeah, but it, I know. I, I, but, 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 I, Andy, do, think, uh, I do think uh, it's a problem, Tommy. Go on, Paddy. Sorry. Uh, I think it's really important that those guys were all there last year. A male blooded. Mm. Yeah. Three or four of these guys: Oshie Mullen, McLaughlin. These guys. They got a year. Yeah. Seeing the guys, see Keith Higgins, see Donny Vaughan, all these guys. And that gives them a sample. They got to an all in the final. So the timing-wise, at least those newer players, they got to experience an all in the final. They got to play and train with the likes of Tom Parsons and these guys. And you're right, it does have a huge influence on younger players. I bring myself back, and we touched on this, when I came into the double panel, you're looking at guys like Alan Brogue and Kieran Whelan. Stephen Cluxton is still there for young guys coming in, and you're thinking, this guy is one of the greatest players in the history of GAA, and look at him there. You can't get, you have to drag him off the train, you have to drag him out of the gym. That has a huge impact on younger players. And you're right, Cork, for, for five or six years, they were Division One. they bet us in the league final in 2011, they won the All-Ireland in 2010, they played a couple of All-Ireland finals against Kerry, and were probably outclassed in those games, but, but they were at the top table. And those guys, you take out six, seven of those personalities, those characters, and they're, you're right, very similar to me. There's just been a huge drop-off. But I'm looking, they've won 21 All-Irelands, they have these younger guys coming through. At some stage, you need to stand up and you need... And, and that's why I thought the win against Kerry last year, even if, if Kerry were, were under par, I felt like a big moment for Cork. Mm, that did, yeah. for, for the younger players, oh, we've, did, beaten, yeah. we've knocked Kerry out of the championship. What We've arrived... We've arrived and then they lose the Munster final. And now this season, they find themselves in a relegation game. Now, look, I, I, I still, I would back them to beat Westmead, but I would not in any way be surprised if they yeah. lost that game. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're back down to Division 3. And they're going, Jesus, like Cork are too big a county, too big a tradition. They need to be exposed. They need to be in Division 1. They need to be exposed to, to, to that. Um but like I say, I, I, I haven't seen anything that, that I, they can guarantee that consistency. So they need to kind of start standing up now, definitely. The 2020 Ulster champions are playing a Division 3 relegation playoff in Park yeah, yeah. against Wicklow. That's Cavan. And the 2020 Munster champions, Tipperary, are going to Longford. And Longford, you know, they were unlucky in the last game. I think they, they draw the last game, but they were chasing the win. That won't be easy for Tipperary either in, in Pierce Park. Um you mentioned Claire Mayo briefly. We mentioned it briefly last week. That's in Cusick Park this week. And Claire Mead is in Newbridge at two o'clock. And that's essentially a Leinster Championship match already this time of the year. <laughs> so I think I wasted about 25 minutes on one of the podcasts talking about Mead. So we're not going to do it this week. In terms of the Division One semi-finals, because I have a couple of really good questions from listeners that I want to put to you. Is there anything new that we can expect this weekend between Donegal and Dublin? Andy, what would you be looking forward to in Donegal and Dublin? Just to see, we're, 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 uh, did we describe it as two ships in the night? They kept missing each other there for a couple of years. Mm. It was the one that the, the punters want to see. Because if you do look at uh, Donegal and you look at Thompson and you look at Langan and you look at uh, Murphy, if he was fit, and you look at uh, Ryan McHugh, Owen Bond, they have the physical attributes yeah. to stick with a Dublin team around that middle age. 100% to have the physical. Now, I would absolutely, and I've made the case, I would absolutely worry about them when the, when the, when the dubs are in the attack. 
and I don't think they'll score enough without Murphy to play. But if Donegal show up, and I know Paddy was saying, it's a huge game for Donegal, Tyrone, and all the rest of the county that's tried, country that's trying to chase Dublin and Kerry. Because at the minute, it looks like the two boys are a long way out ahead. Uh, but if Donegal can get close to Dublin in a match that actually matters a tiny bit, or if Tyrone can go down to Kerry and really yeah. put a squeeze on them, it puts doubts in the two boys' heads a tiny bit. And it gives everyone else just that little glint that, do you know something, come championship time, meeting Dublin in a semi-final, meeting Kerry in a semi-final, we could actually turn these boys over. Paddy? Andy, we spoke about it, like say, with, with, with Dublin, in my experience, the league, there were games you targeted because, you know, like if Donegal are going to win the All-Ireland, which is definitely their goal, and they're, definitely gonna, they're probably going to have to beat Dublin along the way. Those players haven't beaten Dublin before. So even if it's a league semi-final, and there might even be a league final, which is a totally separate point, which is a bit bit of a nonsense, unfortunately, with, with, with scheduling, it is mentally a big thing for those players to go and do that. Now, Murphy's, I, I'd be amazed if he plays. They do also championship in a couple of weeks' time. They can't afford to risk him. He's a huge loss for them. But in terms of, of what I'd be looking to see, I'm looking to see Donegal's defence. If they if they go with this attacking style of play or if they're playing Dublin and Conor Callaghan and Kieran Kilkenny and um, Cormac Costler are inside, are they going to say, Neil McGee and, and Bon Gallagher, you guys man-to-man mark them or will they tweak it a little bit and will they play a bit more defensive? I'd look to see Dublin and how Dublin deal with, with Donegal's running game. I'm looking forward to see probably Mick Fitzsimons picking up Paddy McBrearty. McBrearty's in brilliant form. Can he carry that in against Dublin and try and shoot the lights out and try and get Donegal over the line? Um, there's there's really interesting dynamic there. Like I say, it's not the end of the world if Dublin don't win this game, but I, I think for Donegal, it will be a big... We're talking about momentum and, and in previous years, the National League... You play the league and you're not playing championship for two months after that. It's, yeah. it's drawn out. Whereas this year, the momentum, we said it in the very first part, the championship starts in two weeks' time. Yeah. For this team. Like a, a win for Donegal against Dublin, yeah. even without Michael Murphy as well. Think of the energy, the momentum, the confidence that breeds in the players and the coaches. It says to all the players, we're on the right track here. Yeah. Declan Bonner's the man, we're on the right track. So I, I think it's a big thing and very, very similar for Tyrone going down to Killarney on, on Saturday night. Think of the boost that would give them if this new style of play they have and they go down and be Kerry in their own backyard. Uh, I, I think it's a big game for both of those teams in terms of momentum, in terms of belief, and in terms of confidence in, in their style of play and what they're trying to do. But it'd be a statement. And just yes. from listening to you, Paddy, over the last 45 minutes or so and talking about the league, I can, I can hear it in your voice that the Dubs used to use the league as an opportunity to put their foot on the throat of the teams that they thought, will they try and compete with us later this year? Like you use it as a chance to say to Mayo, mm. we're still here. This is this is still where we're at. If you went down to Castlebar or if you went down to Tralee, you wanted to make yeah. a statement that, you know, we are still the however many yeah. Ireland's in a row that we've won. Statement. Of course. Statement is important. Of course it is. But I think this season with the schedule, it's even more important. Like normally we, we played Mayo and Castlebar in February. We might play them again until August in the championship. That's a long time. Whereas now the championship like I say, is two weeks away. It's a condensed season. The league has taken on the momentum you get from it, the confidence you will get from winning these games. It's the fact that it's condensed. It can have such a big influence on on a team's confidence and the team's momentum. And we're talking about someone like Derry and, and the, the momentum they've built, or Offaly and the momentum they've built. 
it, it is really important in a season like this where you can win two or three games and all of a sudden you're confident you're on top of the ground going into the championship. And I think for those two, two Ulster teams, it is a statement. Whether they might, like I say, there might even be a league final in terms of, of winning a trophy and things like that. It, it's different. But for Donegal and Tyrone, we're talking about they're tweaking their style of play. They're trying to imitate what Dublin and Kerry are doing. What better way to get, like we're talking about feedback. This is our style of play. We've got down and, and we've, we've beaten Dublin and Breffney Park without Michael Murphy. That would be a huge thing. Not just for Donegal, like Andy's saying. It'd give a lot of other teams confidence. But Dublin know that. Dublin are going to be aware of that. And Dublin are going down to win that game as well because they know Donegal are, are, are trying to chase them down and trying yeah. to take on uh, later on in the summer. So it's a big game for Dublin as well. Just, just on that game, Tommy, I think it's going to be yeah. fascinating to see what Donegal do with Hugh McFadden. Um, okay. So he's been pushing a tiny bit. So if you look at their forward line, you have McBrearty, probably Oshin Gallen, Jamie Brennan, Hugh O'Donnell, uh, Joe. And you have Thompson then and Langan kind of in behind them. They don't really have the players anymore to play that defensive structure to took in because all the mm. players are all out. They're all, all attackers. Out, they're all out attackers. So what happens with McFadden and who Donegal leave free around the middle? It, it's going to be very interesting. So do you, in your eyes, does McFadden play that kind of Colin Kavanagh role, that kind of midfielder who would drop back and... I think and that's it. what he's good at. He's a big, intimidating, mm. nice fella, but big in, when he's playing. He <laughs> shout, like, like very few people shouted as much as me, but he shouted, man. And he is loud, <laughs> and he, he'd get in your face, and he he do. Did you I, shout a lot? Oh, I'd never shout. Uh, I can hear him now. Yeah. Around the yeah. a hundred yards away, I can hear him. <laughs> but, like but, what, what? Like what kind of yapping? What kind of John are you doing? Are you doing it to tell your? Oh yeah, just yeah. It's just the way I am. I, I'm always shouting and roaring. Sure, I'm half the time worse <laughs> when I come on here on a Wednesday. But, but it, 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 were you roaring it, on Monday in the junior game? Oh, I was, yeah. I was roaring. I, was, I sure was on the sideline, man. I was on the sideline. I thought you were playing. No? I, 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 I just I thought you were the heavy weekend on the yeah, beard. I, I came on for the last 10. I came on for the last 10. But the, the um, but I, I think McFadden is huge for Donegal because I firmly believe he's the only one that can make the seventh defender for them. So it's going to be fascinating to see who the... Because I don't think Dublin have a player... If they play McCarthy and Fenton in the middle of the field and you leave one of them free, they'll, they'll kill you. In, in terms of the statement, I don't know why it's sticking in, in my brain, but I'm pretty sure it was the 2017 league final. And I was behind Dean Rock as he missed the free, hit the post in the last minute and Kerry beat Dublin. I think it was to end Dublin's 36 game unbeaten run. But I just remember Kieran Donaghy's celebration on the field that day and he sprinted onto the pitch, roaring and celebrating as, as the ball hit the post. And it seemed like a massive moment for Kerry in 2017. Look at the, Paddy Andrews' face. Look at his face. He remembers it too. Go on. I Paddy. do remember it. Yeah, yeah, I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember Danny? Do you remember Danny giving us all of that? We do remember, yeah. We had a couple of images in our head, all right, for losing that game. <laughs> do you? Do you remember yeah, it? And did that matter? Know, did that game matter? We were going for five in a row in the National League, actually, yeah. So we'd won the previous four and we lost that one. I think you made up for it, uh, did you? We won the Ireland that year, yeah, so. Um, but no, it was like say we weren't disappointed. Or no, we were disappointed. We weren't disappointed that we didn't win the league for the fifth time in a row. We were disappointed that we lost to Kerry, like. Yeah. And that was we were hurt. I know Dino. It was twenty seventeen. They did the free to win the All Ireland four months later, and he he I think he's spoken about this. He didn't feel he caught that free at the end as well against against Kerry. Missed it. Hit the post. We lost the game. He got the opportunity three months later to win the All Ireland, slightly closer to free against Mayo and nailed it. So nothing could put him uh, off that day. No, no, no. There was just a couple of things trying to put him off, <laughs> but uh, 
No, that's the, the lesson you learned. And I was, like I said, losing some of those games, you do learn a hell of a lot more from those defeats. And like I said, that was feedback for us. We could see how much it meant to Kerry. It stuck in our crop that, you know... I can see all I can they see. They were over celebrating. Yeah, so. the video of Donahue celebrating, and the video yeah. of oh, we could see it as well. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, we could he, see it. So. Yeah, yeah. I'd say there's a picture of Donahue up on the thing, up on the, <laughs> the dress. Uh, we never did that now, but, but I tell you, in players' heads, like of course it does. Of course, it, it does. It's, yeah. it, like you say, you're talking about Tommy about statements in the national league. There is opportunities for teams to put down a big market. Like I said, there's not going to be league finals. This is the last big game, last big, big weekend of football before the championship starts. There are four or five teams who this they'll be putting out their full championship team. This is their last hit out. Teams like Cork, teams like Mead, if Mead are trying to consolidate themselves, the second best team in, in the Leinster championship, well, then they need to go to Newbridge and they need to beat Clare and get promoted. For a team like Clare, seven years in the making, trying to get up to Division One. They're, they're playing Mayo Mayo Division 1 team they all are in the finals what a, what a big win that would be and Clare playing Kerry in the first round of the Munster Championship so they're thinking yeah. in terms of confidence to go and beat Mayo in Ennis and get that momentum that would be such a huge game from, and on the flip side for Mayo if Mayo lose that and they have another year in Division 2 then does that scupper does that put a little bit of doubt into their heads that, that, there's lots of different stories that play this weekend but you touched it Tommy I, th- I think there's big statements that can be made going into the championship and the fact that the championship is only two weeks away as opposed to normally in the National League where it's three months away um, it's a yeah. big, big weekend of football for, for a lot yeah. of teams. It gets me so nervous when Paddy starts talking about Clare like that when you stop Paddy. Uh, <laughs> well like Col- yeah. Colin Collins like longest serving yeah, manager that. in inter-county football like imagine if he brought Clare to Division no, 1. No, I don't want to imagine that. What would I want to imagine? <laughs> no, I think I think we will be fine. Um, I think uh, We've we've eulogized. I think Colum. they will too. Yeah. yeah, Colum has been he's been like what he's done for, for Clare football is just amazing. To be honest, mm. I don't know the man personally, but he's he's a fascinating character. Met met Podge a few times, but never met never met his dad. Mm. It's um yeah, just it's a it's a brilliant story. But I hope the story ends on uh, on, on, uh, Sunday. on Sunday. On you know, Sunday, but yeah. um, but but I think Aiden will be back. Aiden O'Shea will be back. Um, Killian will, will be there and once them two guys are there and Lee is at the back I, I think it, it just it yeah, consolidates confidence there I'm, yeah. ho- I'm just hoping that's enough Well I can't wait to talk football again next week with you lads it's going to be fun whatever happens this weekend um, you're listening to episode 5 of the Football Pod with Paddy Andrews and Andy Moran you can subscribe to us in the OTBGA feed and if you do that you're going to get an interview with Eddie Brennan last night talking hurling if hurling's your thing there's Kieran Donaghy interview in there um, there's the Mike Quirk podcast is now available in the OTBGA stream and you're going to get each of the five episodes of the football pod so far so you can go back and listen to all of them uh, some of them we spent talking about some of the matches but there's plenty of stories and plenty of uh, I'm not going to use the word I'm not going to say learnings I'm like plenty of learnings from Paddy and Andy over the last <laughs> couple of weeks that sounds like a very Joe Schmidt Jim Gavin yeah, kind of well, didn't like so, that. let's move <laughs> let's move on very quickly then because we've got a couple of questions in from some of the listeners you can follow the football pod on Twitter and Instagram you can send us a DM or a, a message there's a couple of questions that I can't ask that I might send on to you in the WhatsApp afterwards but uh, one of the questions that stood out to me was off the back of the Shane McGuigan chat last week Kevin has been in touch. Loved hearing the appreciation for Derry Shane McGuigan on the pod last week. I read a piece from last August where he credited Gavin Devlin for helping him develop his right foot during lockdown last year. Devlin's the former Tyrone coach and he'd yeah. been working with Schlock Neal at the time. Did anyone help you in particular develop your other foot? 
Paddy. Yeah, um, yeah, they did definitely. I remember. It's funny because we were chatting about this. The great Davy Billings, who, who who passed away a couple of years ago, was a real kind of character and a real, I suppose, a unsung hero of Dublin GAA. And he was obviously the head of sport out in UCD in Belfield for years. I remember we played an under-15 championship game with St. Bridget's out in Cork they eventually against Vincent Staves, obviously very big Vincent's man as well. I didn't know him at the time and we won the game and I, I kicked a couple of scores and I was walking off the pitch I was 13 or 14 years of age and he just called me over he goes, Paddy, come here for a second. I didn't know who he was. I was like, geez, what's, what's going on here? And David, look, I get this look about it, a bit rough around the edges but he's a gas man and, and he called me over he goes, listen, uh, you a couple of times there on your left foot and you turn back on your right. And I was like, who, who's this guy? And he goes, if, if you want to play with Dublin when you're older, we need to start working on your left foot. And I was kind of going, sorry, kind of what, what's the story? He goes, oh, Davy Billings. I thought, oh, Jesus, I knew the name, obviously, because he, he was involved with UCD and my brother Patter would have been out there and played Sigerson with him and stuff like that. But that was him. I was 13, 14 years of age and he had watched 20 minutes of this game and had seen me not taking shots on my left foot, coming back. And while that was fine at under 15 level, he knew I had aspirations of trying to play with Dublin and getting onto Dublin development squads and minor teams and things like that. And that was him in a nutshell. Just got, and every, I would have made him at Sigerson games down the years and he was a selector with Dublin under Pillar and, and things like that. Just a real influential guy in Dublin G. And every time he'd say to me, how's that left foot coming along? And it was just an insight for me as a young player um, just highlighting the importance of that um, and it stood to me and I started practicing it straight away I was like Jesus here's a guy who, who big in Dublin he's a selector with the senior team and he was telling me that and it's, it's just so important you see guys like Clifford or you know Khan and the, the, the best forwards and most dangerous forwards you have to be able to do it because you're playing against the best teams you're playing against the best kind of man markers and, and teams are trying to shut you down having the ability to go with, with both sides and that was always a big a moment that stuck out for me you know Davy Billings back what nearly 16, 17 years ago just called me aside for a one minute conversation and it, it changed my perspective and what I was working on in my game yeah that's brilliant yeah that's that, that, that's deadly I won't even try to Try to come in on that, but it, it, it's, uh, it shows why Dublin got up to where they got to when you have people willing to do that, you know. And I guess the, the next time, the next yeah. time Paddy played against him at 15 and he knew he was on the sideline, he was shooting off the left foot no matter what happened. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and were you, were, you, were you doing that? Were you making sure I got to shoot my left here? I can't be turning back. But I, 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 I just started practicing. I just yeah. started practicing. Whereas because I was kind of, we, we had a pretty good underage team and I, and I was a pretty good player at, at that level. I, I wasn't taking myself out of my comfort zone. I was coming back onto my right foot. And that's fine at, at under 14, under 15 level. But you start trying to play with, with the Dublin minor team under 21. And ultimately, he could see this guy wants to play senior inter-county football for, mm. for his county. You need to be able to do that. And it was just an eye-opener for me, you know, taking you out of your comfort zone. And like for, for Shane McGuigan, at, at his age, you know, at senior level, to, to, to kind of getting that. I, I was fortunate that, that Davey took one minute out of his time to come over to me and I had a head start on it then. Um, and, and then things like once once we got into senior level and, and we, had, we had a great coach, Mick Bahan, who, who was with Dublin for the 2014 season. He's obviously the ladies coach now and had a brilliant success over the last four years. He was big on, we used to do training drills with, with two footballs at a time and we'd be solid with our right foot and left foot. Just a really brilliant coach, technical coach. And he would have had big work with Owen O'Gara who mightn't have been the most technically proficient on, on his weaker foot but 
you'd have O'Gara out kicking 20, 30 balls before every single training session. And you could just see the improvement at that. And that the, the sooner you, you learn that, if you could do it when you're 13 or 40 years of age, brilliant, because you've such a head start. But you can always become a better player. And, and I think being able to kick off boats, particularly, look, if you're a forward playing in the Ulster Championship, there's spaces at a premium there. You, you need to be able to pull the trigger on both sides. So coaches like that, that that's ultimately the, the fundamental role of a coach is to make the player better, kind of get technically better. And guys like Mick Bahan were, were brilliant for me uh, with Dublin and Davey Billings, obviously. Make as a oh. skills coach, yeah. And then he's got loads of stuff up on YouTube if anyone's looking for stuff. That yeah, that was brilliant. Good. He's brilliant, so, yeah. Andy, what was your left like? Uh, my left was fine. It was adequate. It was, um, it was, it was, like I would never, I was never, do you know the way Clifford and Shane Walsh and McGuigan and these guys came yeah. is right and left, 35, 40 yards. So there's different elements of left foot. Like I was never going to get to that level with it uh, when I started. So mine was to make sure I turned onto my left. So if I was American Mick, Mick Fitzsimons, who yeah. obviously studies his players, he knows I want yeah, to get onto yeah. my right foot. I for the first ball, no matter where I was in the field, I was turning left side. I was turning onto my left side. So I mightn't have shot with it, but I was trying to, you know, cod him mm. into saying, right, this fella can go either way, you know. And then, like for us, Lee McHale was huge in two thousand and four for me because I know it sounds simple, but I think the best forwards in the country have the best hands catching the ball but you'd yeah. see an awful lot of fellas doing this with their right hand you know so Mikhail was big into making sure that your left hand pass was as good as your right hand pass and little things like that so it made us huge and then I mentioned him already Ed Coughlin um, who came in with us he was a skill acquisition coach so we like were you know, brushing the teeth of the left hand and you know, just using your left hand side just to get you to but, but, but it's funny Andy it's you've hit the nail on the head some guys are just natural there, Shane Walsh well, Dermot Connolly was another one he was just he could take 45s off the ground as left foot it was just natural ability whereas yeah. someone like Bernard Brogan's one of Dublin's best ever forwards he wasn't you can actually see in his style of, of kicking he wasn't naturally gifted on his left foot but when I'm talking about practice and going out and kicking balls and balls and balls and balls Jason Sherlock would have done a lot of it was with Dublin as well and you're talking about the, the, the success that Dublin have had and I touched on this in previous parts there's no it's not a secret formula. The, the time we would have spent on the pitch working on what people would perceive to be basic skills. And like I say, we weren't coming to train it to get fitter. We, we did that on our own. We came to train it to absolutely be as good as we possibly could be with our, with our skills, with, our, with fundamentals. If, if I'm 30 yards out from goal, on either side, I can kick it over the bar. I'm not taking an extra second to come back onto my right foot. And I say, Andy, if it's an, I was the exact same with my left foot as you. It took a lot of work. It wasn't the most natural like, like some of those guys, but it's such a key role. And it's funny, you know, when guys get to senior at the county level, they think they're, some guys we think they're a finished article that I've reached it now and I'm playing senior at the county. You can always, always, oh, always get better. Um, and having the coaches there and having the mindset as a player to I want to learn, I want to get better. And, and I go and see when Derek Bernard Brogan, one of the best forwards in the country, and he's he's going out on his nights off and he's kicking a hundred balls with his left foot because he knows he needs to do that to, to get the best out of him. And people like me, actually, people, you know. people like me, Paddy, from the outside looking in, like I'd have learned way more off Bernard than I would like from watching. And mm. watching the likes of Bernard Brogan that I'd have learned off Jeremy Conley and David Clifford because them boys are freak shows. Yeah, like me looking, yeah, me looking at Shane Walsh, like what what am I looking at? Like he's huge. Jack Grealish. Yeah, he's right or left foot. Yeah. He's cut the hair, so you can't do that anymore. But, uh, you know, <laughs> like, but like, what am I looking at? Like in terms yeah. of talent and natural ability, 
physical size, all that. Jeremy, David Clifford, Shane Walsh. I'm not looking at them. I'm looking at a Bernard Brogan saying, right, he's fallen over there, kicking that one with his left foot. How does he you know, yeah. sh- shape his body and all that? So it's important that you look at the right role models as well and fit into the category where you are. Like I, me and Paddy were cornerbacks and wingbacks who could play in the forward yeah. line. Do you know what I'm saying? Where I don't think Clifford ever played fullback. I, 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 well, he probably do though. He probably do. He'd still score from there. Yeah. He, played, uh, he played Kennedy Cup soccer at centre-back so much yeah. like yourselves he had a stint in the soccer so he was a centre-back yeah. in the soccer he actually marked Darren Connolly I think in a in a Kennedy Cup game or maybe it was a schools game actually against Darren Connolly um, one of the uh, just quickly one of the things that I would have, have noticed is the ability to actually as you said there Andy just to show on your left but the ability to run at somebody in a straight line and not know whether they're going to go left or oh. right and you can tell if somebody's actually you know if they've kind of learned it or practiced it but mm-hmm. some guys are just really natural or, or any footballer, they're just really natural to just move left or move right, and it's so difficult to figure out what way they're going to run. But the, um, the simple, the simple thing there, and if, if anyone is learning from this, learning how to bounce the ball with your left left hand, like it's the simplest thing in the world. Learn, like Paddy's on about two balls in your hand with uh, Mick yeah. Bo- was it Mick Bowen that did it. Mick behind, like, yeah. like basically, if you're holding the ball in your right hand, it's like pushing a fellow off and you're soloing and you're bouncing with your left hand. So it's the same thing. But so I would have learned that when, skill, you know. When I played, I always soloed with my left foot, and mm. you can see Niall, Niall Scully. Is so natural that he don't even notice he's doing it sometimes. But I, I would have had maybe a bit too obvious by the time the end of my career. If I got the ball and I was taking the guy on, I'd always solo with my left foot, yep. keeping it away from him, and I tried to cut back onto my right foot. A couple of times against against Mayo, it worked well, but just copped onto that fairly quickly. <laughs> uh, but that that was just the thing that if I did a fender, I'm thinking, geez, he's got what way is he going to go? And like that, that was practice. Like I said, I was not naturally. Like someone like Dermo would do it, and it's like you just yeah. could never tell this guy you can do anything. That yeah. I was not at that level, so I had to practice that. But that would have been something I would have done and learned yeah. that always oh, solid ball with your left, keeps the man away from it, and it kind of keeps them guessing as well. Because yeah. that's like the, with analysis and, and particularly the uh, professional games, that defenders know everything they're going to do. They, yeah. they watch yeah. they watch your patterns and stuff like that. So, so being able to do that and go either side is just. It, it's essential. It, it, the exact it, same. It, I, the, the exact same. Yeah. Well, we just try to do the same thing. Do you know? If the fullback from Beliver is listening to this on the way to the match tonight in Mead Hill, <laughs> I've been working on moving off my left all of lockdown. So uh, you're still waiting for a call, of Andy Mack. We still have to get that story, Paddy. <laughs> um, I have another question in, and uh, Andy, I, I know you know I've got this question coming, so I don't know whether I should save it. I actually might save it, actually. There's some really good questions coming in this week. No, do you know what? We're going to go for it. We have a bit of time. Dan Burke on Instagram. How beneficial is video review in a performance? And should clubs use video more? And also, they both come in within about 10 minutes. I don't know if the lads know each other, but Sean McDonough on Instagram as well, at footballpod underscore GEA. What is your opinion on performance and video analysis? Did you research opponents? So Andy, was video analysis a big thing for you? Oh, huge. Um, absolutely huge. For me yeah. personally, being a slower inside forward, um, I needed to know every single thing about, like, okay, so if you're an inside forward, okay, and I'm marking Paddy, Paddy's a cornerback, and if, if you know that Paddy plays 10 yards in front of you, you can adapt to that. Now, if you go into a game and you don't have a clue where Paddy's going to mark you from, mm. it's going to take you 10, 20 minutes to get used to him. He's marking me from my left side, my right side, out in front of me, you know, what he's doing. So it was huge for me in that regard. But we had a great lesson. Uh, there's famous stories around Balladrine where John O'Mahony was in, in, in the 80s 
in the stand in Balladrine with a VCR, like a video recorder, Jeez. a video recording games. And you go into Jono's house, uh, it's changed now a bit, but those videotapes, old videotapes everywhere of games. It's poor wife, dust everywhere, but like, <laughs> poor Geraldine, yeah. But like, this is the 80s, up in the stand. But... Up, up in the stand, mm-hmm. recording the games. Do you know what? He, he was managing my own under-21s in 83 and my own 89. So he was coming to that level where he was getting to the... So it was always a thing. And, and was that had, for analysis? Was that to... For analysis, yeah. And then we had John off from 96, 2001 in 80s in, in school and he used to be brilliant on the video analysis. Like we'd get a tape from Carrick on Shannon who used to be playing. You were like, <laughs> where are you getting this from? So it was always huge. But for me as a forward, my biggest thing was know the opponent and know them by the... So if you're playing week on, like in the league, I'd have to have all that done by the Tuesday or Wednesday night at yeah. 10 so I could go in then and practice it. But then the key thing for me, and a huge change for me later on in my career, was knowing exactly what my teammates were doing. So if, Pat, mm-hmm. if me and Paddy were playing with each other and Paddy was playing centre forward, and he's right-footed, and I know that he's going to go oh, left, right, come yeah. back on his right, then I can make them run away to make sure that when he comes back on that right foot to hit a curler in, that I'm in the right position. So knowing Kevin McLaughlin, Killian O'Connor, Aidan O'Shea, these guys, knowing what they're going to do with the ball, Give me an extra second. It gave me a chance to compete with you know, the Mick Fitzsimons, the Marco Shays, Sean Marty Lockhards and all them guys. It made me compete with them, you know? See, you're breaking down your own, never mind the opponents, you're breaking down your own teammates and you're going, how does Kevin McLaughlin catch the ball? What does he do when he step? And what kind of, what way is he kicking the ball when he kicks it? Is that what you're looking for? That's what I'm looking for because, like, I don't think I ever won a ball in space. Like I, like I could, I wasn't fast enough. I was, I like my, yeah, first, that's my, same. Yeah, my <laughs> first ten yards were slow, were, were were quick, and my turn was quick. But like after that, then I had nothing. So if I make a straight line run for fifty yards, forget about Simon's it. just runs out yeah. ahead of me or Philly McMahon. So I have to be twist and turning and knowing exactly where they go. So sorry, now let me just break this down. So Kevin McLaughlin wins the ball on the fifty yard line, and he's running towards the ball with his back to me. Now, if I can make a fake run while he's receiving the ball, because I know which way he's going to turn, the defender can't just let me go. Like, you know, so he has to go with me and then I come back into space. And I, I'm sure Paddy was the same. So that, that was the key thing for me. It was knowing exactly and what the, uh, Evan, Aidan, Tom, Shamey were going to do with the ball. I could not emphasize enough the importance of, of analysis and preparation that was a huge, huge, huge part of, of the success we had with Dublin, we put huge, huge stock in it. And you're right, not just, I'll give you an example. Every time we play a championship game, and if I miss the shot, I could have scored three or four points, but I missed the shot. That evening I get home, the very first thing I do, I'd have the game recorded on Sky or, or RTE, and I'd go to the shot I missed, and I'd freeze frame it, and I'd look and go, okay, why did I miss that shot? Was it, was it a bad decision? Was I outside my range? Was the defender too close to me in which case I shouldn't have taken the shot anyway um, how did I miss it did I pull it did I drop it short did I kick it wide did I push it out to the right hand side or should I have passed it? And, and I literally watched that for about 10 minutes straight the exact moment I kicked the ball where did, where did my foot finish if I dropped it short that's I mean, that was just me the night of a championship game I'd go back and I'd look at that and that was my own head but, but before we went we go down on, on the Tuesday night and we review the whole game, forward play. We put such huge emphasis on preparing and knowing your opposition. 
It, 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 you, you can't, and exactly what Andy's saying, if I'm playing full forward and Brian Fenton gets the ball, I know Brian Fenton wants to kick the ball, he wants to put a one-bounce pass in. If James McCarthy has it, I know he kicks the ball with the outside of his right foot. If Kieran Kilkenny gets it at centre-forward, I know Kieran carries it and likes to hand-pass it instead. So that impacts how I run, and it, not, it only impacts how I run or where I run to. It also impacts what, what Bernard or Dean Rock is doing, because they know, oh, well, Paddy's making a run out there, there's going to be space into the gap he's left. And that was just our own game. So we were reviewing my own individual performance, the skills. Jeez, I, I, I give an example. I, I, would have, I went through a phase about maybe 18 months ago where I was dropping a lot of balls short. And I was, I'm going, I was actually looking at my follow-through and I just wasn't following through like a golf swing. And then I seen a photo of Darren McCurry, actually a good friend of the podcast now. <laughs> there was a photo of him taking a free for Tyrone and his foot was nearly at his head. <laughs> like, unbelievable. It was just a freeze frame shot and I was thinking, my legs only gone half that height and it was just, so I went back to train and started working on my follow through and my shots because I was dropping balls short. I was like, why, why is that happening? And that's just reviewing my own game. Then you review your teammates because, okay, how can I help him? Where does he want to play? Where does he want to kick the ball? You know, like say, if, if Niall Scully gets it, he's right footed and predominantly I need to make my run here and go back. Exactly what Andy's saying. And then the most important thing is knowing your opponent, analysing your, your opposition. How would you do that in Dublin? Would it just be Jim Gavin with a projector going, this is such and such, just so it works? Oh, no, we, we, we'd watch the games. The coaches would give you, like if Declan Darcy is the defensive coach, he'd give you some ideas. Like they wouldn't spell it out for you because you had you were ultimately going to be on the pitch and Dublin were always very good with that, that we'd give you high-level stuff, but you need to go away and, and put the time and the effort in and the details. And, and that was a huge part of our success as much as we did on the Tuesday and the Thursday and the Saturday on the training pitch, it was the Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays away and we were preparing, if we were playing Mayo and I'm marking Keith, okay, I know Keith's very fast, he likes to try and get out in front, so very similar to what Andy, I don't want to get in a foot race with him, I need to I need to be smarter in how I move. And a big learning point, I know we've touched on this game, we lost to Donegal in 2014 and we were red hot favourites going into the game, unbackable, and it was probably the only time we were ever complacent with Dublin that we didn't we weren't as prepared Donegal had a game plan we assumed that they'd just do what they'd always been doing whereas they dragged us all over the pitch we were outsmarted because we weren't as prepared as players we weren't we were outsmarted on the pitch and Donegal were doing things that we didn't expect them to do and as much as our style of play changed and we, we became a lot more clinical and a lot more kind of composed in, in how we played probably a little bit slower in how we attacked but it was a lot more methodical it was off the pitch as well. We never underprepared for a game again. The lesson was learned. We threw away in all Ireland because we weren't as prepared for what Donegal were going to do. We, we didn't do our homework as well as we should have. And then every single game, every single game with Dublin, first round of the National League, first round of the Leinster Championship, we were prepared. We know what we wanted to do. We knew the key players for the, the opposition, their style of play, and that helped us. It was such a big thing for us. Um, the video analysis side of things. And so just one last, I'll give an example of it. Donegal would have, teams have patterns. They have a set style of play. They had a set play where Ryan McHugh would go to the centre-back and they still do it now. You probably still try to do it this weekend. Ryan McHugh goes to centre-back. Michael Murphy comes out to midfield. Patton puts the hands in there and we know the whole forward line clears out. They dump it on Murphy and Ryan McHugh just sprints through and for a flick on. But that, they scored a goal against us because we weren't aware at the time. Whereas now, when Dublin play Donegal, we've seen a man marking Ryan McHugh, we know what's coming. 
And all teams and players have patterns of how they play. You just need to do the work and do the homework uh, to give you the best possible chance of beating them when you, when you play them at the weekend. That's it's fascinating stuff. And it's just when you talk about what the level that you guys go to even analyze your own players, never mind the opponents, but the depth of analysis of the opponents. When you say you were complacent against Donegal in 2014 with the, with the prep for that match, I'm pretty sure McGuinness had a couple of tricks up his sleeves. So how can you prepare for something you hadn't seen? Well, the, the first thing you've got to do, look at the evidence there in front of you. What have they done today? Who are the key players? Like I say, every team has patterns. But then you've also, you've got to expect the unexpected. Like, what did you not or, do that year? We just weren't, we weren't prepared. When I look at that game and to how we prepared for every single championship game, since that moment, individual players, we, we didn't do enough analysis. We just expected that Donegal would play the same style of play, this kind of defensive style of play. We were going to go man-to-man. That's how we were playing at that particular time. And we just assumed that that would be enough. It was. And, and across the board, from, from the coaches to the players, we all agreed when we reviewed that game tail between the legs we were like did we do enough in our preparation did we know our opponents as well as we did like say they were going to drag us all over the pitch what would our response be to that and like say you can't know everything but you can take a hell of a lot of boxes that when it happens on the pitch like Andy's saying it doesn't take you 20 minutes to get your head around it because in that 20 minutes that could be 1-5 goes in against you before you're, you're up to speed so you, the more preparation and, and how well you know your opponent and how well they know your own teammates as well that I know if this guy has the ball in midfield, where do I need to run to? Because what's he going to do? Um, it, it's so, so important. I, co- I could not emphasize the importance of it enough. It sounds like you both enjoyed the homework, the, this element of it, did you? <laughs> Andy, you definitely did, did you? Uh, no, like I enjoyed watching and finding a trick up my sleeve. Um, okay. I, like I enjoyed watching somebody who used to do something. Um, just a little crook that they might have had and I can mm. then kind of visualise where, where it's at. Like, so if someone marked me from in front, I'd like to, I'd try to get out of their eye line. So yeah. that makes sense. So I would try to make myself invisible just for a split second because if you're a cornerback, then you're panicking a tiny bit. Um, but yeah, listen, it all then comes down to the, the kind of game and where it's going and where it's at. Um, but I... You must be constantly playing little games with the cornerback, are you? But I had, to, I had no choice. Like, like I went, like I used to be a physical forward, so I used to get the ball, and when you could make physical contact, I used to throw people over my shoulder and trip them. But then all of a sudden, that became a black card, and you couldn't do it anymore. So then I had to kind of re, kind of jig what I was doing and how I used to play, and you couldn't be dirty basically anymore. Can, can so I ask yeah. you a question? <laughs> yeah, go on. I just have something in my head there, and it's from watching twenty seventeen last week. Killian takes a quick free to Andy Moran. Oh, I could have got. You say you never got a ball in space. Johnny yeah. Cooper's line on the twenty-one yard line. What I, I, happened I could, there? I, I could have been black haired. Andy, what happened? What happened? Oh, the, camera does, the camera doesn't show us. The camera doesn't catch it. Um, yeah, no, I know what fuck, happens. Would you believe my mother-in-law and Johnny Cooper's mother are best buddies? Would you believe? But anyway, really? <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, I was talking to her last week, but the I, I ran out to Johnny. I just I did my old trip, but I did it in instinct. I was like, "Oh, I'm gone! I'm gone!" I was like, "You know, the guilt is written all over my face." But no, I got away. What kind of a trip? Were you clipping the anchors, or were you? No, no, just like I ran in mid contact. Yes. Put him over. And Johnny knew Jesus it was coming, so he thought he, he just to hear to hear the saint. And but, was uh, it Johnny? Was it Johnny who got you back then, or was it Philly who took you down for the penalty that was never a penalty in the second half? 
I don't know if it was a, a I don't know a, Johnny Johnny got me back many a time. But, but it was it's funny, Andy. I I was the exact same. I I never wanted to get in a in a race out to the ball with someone. Because mm-hmm. I used to mark fits he had traded. Oh geez, it was painful right. stuff, Mark, because his strengths were my weaknesses. But his speed and, and it was 10 yards. I, I was never the quickest. So exactly like Andy, I never I never played in front of defenders. I'd always play from behind and I, I loved it when a defender tried to play in front of me and, and some guys don't like that because some guys are just yeah. speed merchants and they want to get out in front I loved when a defender was in front of me because he wasn't that's looking the, at hey, where I was the, going then hey that's the false brilliant. hey that's the false nine coming yeah. up <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look you just that when you've no pace you have to think other ways to kind of to, to but, get around to well, when you're behind just, you can make more decisions behind yeah, right but, but, yeah, just, but some, some defenders it's in their head I need to play in front because it's drilled into them it's aggressive whereas yeah, but then the razor to this. I know Andy, geez, you were Shane N right there a couple of times in 2017, and he did really well on him. And it was just you could see I, I would have marked Shane as well a couple of times, and he liked to play from the front and be looking at the ball coming in. And I was like, that this is brilliant for me. And I, could, I, I was looking at Andy, I was like, that's exactly what Andy wants to happen there. And, and, and the mayor goes, you knew who was kicking the ball in if Aiden had it or Shane or Shane had it there. You could just. Without you weren't sprinting to the ball. You just your movement got you in it. And it, forwards are different, but understanding your own game, understanding your teammates' games, and understanding the opposition. If you know all of those three things, it just gives you such an advantage to go out onto the pitch in the championship game. Like Andy said, it's not you shouldn't be for the first time seeing what a, what, a, what your mark is going to do in the first two minutes of an honor in a final. You should know, mm-hmm. um, and and having that homework done. That's that was such a key thing, like I say, for, for all interpreters, everyone's doing it. Just bringing it together, right? So you're at, we're on about division one, we're on about video analysis. I remember going up, Mark, and Mick Fitz, Mick Fitz Simons in the in the league, and Mick after 2015 marked me all the time, nightmare stuff, right? So <laughs> I, I I had this ma- master plan, right? So if the ball is coming down the right hand side, I'll go to the far side of the goals. So it's coming down the Cusick stand, we're kicking into the hill. I go to the right hand side of the goals to leave the middle section open, mm. right? and. So Mick marks me strong side towards the Cusick stand, 10 yards in front. And I'm just thinking, in the, go for the first one. So obviously I'm, I have to make up 10 yards on him now. Yeah. Like, oh, gee. That's not so, going to happen. It's not going to happen. So <laughs> yeah. he wins the first ball and I'm like, okay, plan, big trouble here. What do I do? So cleans me out for the game. But I could go away from that. We're on about Division One football. I can go away from that then and go, right, when I get back there again, I'm not giving Vic Fitzsimons a 10-yard head start because I've played him. So to mm. bring it back in, I can analyze that video, but also from playing Division 1 against these top defenders, you can turn around then and go, right, if the ball has come down the strong side, I need to be on the strong side to give myself you know, the chance yeah. to break and stuff like that. And it just, it brings everything together. So that, I, I think that's uh, just when you were mentioning that there, Paddy, mm. it's a good example actually playing Division 1 and earning in the league we had it on the exact same thing Colin Cavanaugh was playing this sweeper role with Tyrone and there's different ways to kind of play the sweeper role we played Tyrone and Crow Park they actually bet us in one of the league games around February or March time Colin Cavanaugh had a great game but he played a sweeper role where once the ball was kicked in he'd go and try and double team the guy who got the ball and I would disagree I don't think that's a good way to play a sweeper role he was dragged out of the centre channel and he was trying to basically dispossess the guy. If I got the ball a corner forward, I knew McNamee was going to be behind me, but I knew Kevin was going to come straight over and try and bottom me up. Whereas we could see that, we identified that and go, okay, the centre channel's open now. So when you get the ball in the corner, don't solder the ball, don't try and take your man on, just get the ball straight back across the pitch 
and you have guys like Michael Lair McCauley or, or Fenton or, or James McCarthy, Jack McCaffrey at the time, there's a lane open there. So we, we could see, okay, that's how they're, they're trying to play this blanket defence. There's a gap for us to, to, and that was just like exactly what Andy's saying. So you were catching Kavanaugh on the move. He, his instinct was to go. Yeah, he, he, wanted were... to try, he wanted to try and dispossess the guy and get a turnover, yeah. which is it, I would argue that if you're a sweeper, you're there to stop goals. So mm-hmm. if the guy's out there, leave him deal with it and you're stopping any runners coming through the centre channel. But, but Kavanaugh, that was the way he was playing that with, with Tyrone and we could identify that and, and, and things like that. And if you look at like Donegal in, in the league game this year, 18-16 win, you could see in the second half, all the forwards are standing out in the wings, standing on the sideline, Thompson, McBrady, all of these guys, because they know Tyrone are all staying in the centre channel. So we're talking about Park Joyce and, and McGinney and the importance of these teams staying in Division 1 because he, t- every team has patterns. Every player has patterns. The more you're exposed to that, the bigger the games you're there, you learn from that and you take it into the championship. And every team has them. And it's just the video analysis, again, from 15 years ago, I used to watch a clip on a Sunday game of a score and that'd be it. That'd be your homework done. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah, the, the advancements yeah. in that as well as nutrition, recovery, uh, your gym training that we touched on at the start of the pod. It's, it's such, such a key role. Knowing, knowing your opposition is, it, it's, it's essential if you're going to try and be successful. That was great stuff, lads. That was a fascinating episode. Uh, I'm going to actually listen back to it on my way back to the first uh, league match of the year tonight. So I'm going to enjoy that. Paddy, uh, you enjoy yourself over the next few days. Andy, you've yeah. we got a Pilates class or something now to hop into, do you? No, 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 I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. But, uh, He's done for the day. Uh, I, I, just, I just can't get the image of the dubs with Kieran Donnie. I actually have a video Never on my phone. Celebrate. Never I, celebrate. I, I definitely no. have the WhatsApp version of that video. I don't know whether it made it into the dubs group, but... Uh, yeah. No, no. I just, I just can picture you, you telling the story there. I was just looking at Paddy and Paddy was like, yeah, I kind of remember that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never celebrate, lads. No good could come from it. Yeah, well, that's it, lads. Um, episode five of the Football Pod. That's what's done. If you're listening in, please do subscribe, do share it. Let your friends know. They'll learn something. Um, because the two yeah. lads here are giving some brilliant insights into life off the pitch and life on the pitch as well. So, uh, that's it for episode five. Episode six next week is going to be next Wednesday, and we'll have loads of football to talk to because every game, nearly every game, matters this weekend in the league. So we're really looking forward to that. Andy, Paddy, thanks very much. See you later, gents. Bye bye. The OTB Podcast Network with Get Set Go. Black Box Car Insurance lets young drivers bounce past high cost premiums. Drive safe and save more with GetSetGo.ie. Easter is a time for sharing with those you love. And there's no easier way to let someone know you're thinking of them this Easter than with the Cadbury Worldwide Hide. Hmm. No, they'll find it there. Register now and from the 14th of March, you can hide a virtual egg anywhere in the world for your loved one to find. Perfect. They'll never look there. And you can even order a real one to be delivered. Search Cadbury Worldwide Hide or visit worldwidehide.cadbury.ie for more information. TNCs apply.